Uh, to the book of Acts in chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, as we're working our way through the book of Acts, we are learning um, uh, two things. There is what we find happening in the first century church, and uh, ever so often we get focused on individuals. In Acts chapter 9, we focus on the name by the name of Saul, who is also called Paul. Um, and uh, this is obviously a a very important time in the life of the church because things are going to drastically change in the life of one man and the result of that I believe are still felt to this day. Uh, the impact of the ministry of Paul. Uh, but I want us to think about uh, before we go to this encounter and we're going to, this is going to be two message part. I uh, try to shorten my messages. I really do. Uh, it doesn't always work out though. All right, But notice in Acts chapter 9 Verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell on the earth, uh, to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. As we come here to this account, we've uh, seen highlighted for us since Acts chapter uh, 6, Stephen uh, preaching a message before the Sanhedrin council. Uh, chapter 7 ends with the death of Stephen, his stoning, and we find Saul consenting unto his death uh, keeping watch over the garments that were laid there and when Stephen was stoned. And then we, we focus on Philip uh, in Acts chapter uh, 8. And now we come to Acts chapter 9. We have a focus on Saul, who we also call uh, Paul. And by the way, his name is used interchangeably uh, throughout the book of Acts. At the beginning of his life, we see predominantly Saul by the end of his life particularly after his salvation and him joining himself to the disciples, his name would be predominantly uh, Paul. But here in Acts chapter 9, I want us to think here, because I, I was studying this passage and I thought to myself here, you know, there's a lot to be said about Saul. The first two words of, of uh, chapter 9 is, and Saul. Uh, there's a focus here for us to pause and to think about this man, and what is about to happen to this man? And what I want to do this morning is I want to lay the groundwork, the background of the life of Saul before his meeting with Jesus Christ. Who is this man? And what is about to happen? And how significant that this would happen out of all men in the world that time to this man? I want to uh, preach this morning on the persecutor is interrupted. The persecutor is interrupted. I want to go straight and deal particularly with Saul this morning, and I want us to consider, first of all, 
the identity of Saul's past. When we read here and we look at the life of Saul, we have to think a little bit about who this man is that is about to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. The name of Saul obviously is a big deal because of what we find in verse 1, yet breathing out, breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him letters of Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And so we read about this, that uh, Saul appears to be the uh, persecutor of the church, and I want us to think, first of all, at the identity of Saul's past. Who is this man? Where did he come from? What is his background? I think it's important for us to think when any time salvation happens in the life of an individual, there's a whole background behind that. But I'm interested in Saul, and first of all, as we think about the identity of his past, we see, first of all, his progeny. Uh, where did he come from? Who was he? Well, if we go, and by the way, we're going to go through the scriptures, so get your fingers ready. Uh, if your fingers get tired, just listen. But we're going to go through the scriptures and look about this man and what he, who was he? Where did he come from? Uh, what was his education? What was his religion? And what happened in his life? As we think about his progeny, we first of all know, according to Acts chapter 22, verse 3, when he says himself, I am verily a man, which am a Jew. And so the first thing we establish about Saul is that he himself was a Jew. He was a full-blooded Jew. At that time, we know during the time of Jesus Christ and the first century apostles, often people, they, they held their ethnicity in high regard. Uh, we know that when they compare themselves, for example, to the Samaritans who were referred to as half-breeds. Why? Because they were not full-blooded Jews. And so they were despised and rejected. And so this idea of Paul referring referring to himself as a Jew, he says, I am a full-blooded Jew, it would be something that he would take pride in, uh, something that would kind of lift him up among all people who consider themselves a Jews, and he would uh, be placed on a pedestal in his own mind. And so we see that he is a Jew, but also, when he gives his own testimony in Philippians chapter 3, the Bible says, he says, I am an Hebrew of the Hebrews. What does that mean? Well, this means that both of his parents were Jews, were Hebrews, and not only both of his parents, but all the ones, if you, he would take, if, you would, if, if he, was, he would trace his own genealogy, he would find that both mother and father would all, were, would all be Jews and Hebrews throughout his genealogy. And so here we find that, again, this would be another layer to boast. Not only is he a Jew, but he is a Hebrew of the Hebrew. Not only that, but in Philippians 3, 5, he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin. So he could even trace his ancestry back to a specific tribe, and that was the tribe of Benjamin. Now this would be significant because we know that Benjamin produced the first king of Israel, whose name was also Saul. And so not only does his tribe have significance in his life, but also his name. His name would be referred to back as, hey, Benjamin, 
gave us the first king of, of the nation of Israel, and his name was Saul. And so he has much to boast in, he has much to glory in, but that is his progeny, that's his past. And we know that throughout the New Testament, he repeated those things. We know in Philippians, he says, look, if anybody has anything to boast in, uh, I, there nobody could boast more than I. I'm a Jew, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's the identity of Saul's past. We not only see his progeny, but as we think about his past, we see his provenance. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 21, verse 39, uh, that he was Saul of Tarsus. What is uh, Tarsus? What is this uh, city uh, as he came from Tarsus? Again, uh, it is referred to Tarsus was no mean city. What does that mean? No mean city. Uh, well, uh, one commentator put it this way as we think about the time during uh, the time of Christ and the first century apostles. What was Tarsus known for? Well, one commentator and historian said uh, Tarsus was, a thrive, was thriving with trade and it was a focus of intellectual and religious activity. Uh, Tarsus had many schools there, uh, intellectual schools of philosophy. Uh, one uh, pastor said that Tarsus was also a city in good favor with rulers in Rome. In the city wars of Rome, it took Caesar's side, Tarsus, it took Caesar's side, which resulted in it becoming a free city, that is a city which had the privilege of self-governance. Favor with Rome also resulted in Roman citizenship for those in Tarsus. This helps explain why Paul later would claim Roman citizenship and that he was be beaten unlawfully. According to Acts 22:28, he was he said he was born free. That's what he says. Why? Because he was a citizen of Tarsus. He was born of parents who were already citizens of Rome by virtue of the location of where he came from. He lived and he was brought up in Tarsus. So we see not only his progeny, his provenance, but also we see his pedigree. Uh, Tarsus, as I already mentioned, was described by Strabble as a seat of science equal or superior to Alexandria and Athens. Now, if you're familiar, during the, uh, those days, Athens and Alexandria were both known as the capital of knowledge and science and astronomy and all the, if you would, the, the latest philosophies and the latest science that would come out. And Tarsus was just on par with Athens and Alexandria. Uh, Paul was different than the other apostles. The other apostles were not learned and therefore they were deemed, according to Acts chapter 4, as unlearned and ignorant men. But not so with Saul. As a matter of fact, in Acts 22 verse 3, he says this of himself. He says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of our fathers, and was zealous toward God... Yet as ye all this day. Socrates said that Gamaliel during that time was called by his contemporaries the beauty of the law and he is still remembered among the Jews of today as the great rabbi. The Talmud says of Gamaliel, when he died, the honor of the Torah ceased. The Torah refers to the first five books of the Old Testament. And purity and piety became extinct 
when Gamaliel died. That's what the historian says. That's what the Talmud says of Gamaliel. Uh, Paul, in other words, his secular education was obtained in Tarsus, and his religious education was obtained in Jerusalem under the great rabbi Gamaliel, considered to be the best religious education of the day among the Jews. That's his pedigree. When we read of Saul, that's who he is, that's where he comes from, that's his education, but we also notice his persuasion. In Galatians, if you turn with me in Galatians chapter 1, throughout the epistles, the epistles are filled, uh, treasure filled with uh, Paul's uh, testimony about himself and who he was before his salvation and who became after his salvation. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 14, this is what uh, uh, Paul said as testimony, he said, that he profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, notice, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. He goes on to say in verse 15, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's room and called me by His grace. And notice verse 13, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And, and saw if, he, if Saul was to be compared to his peers, to those who would learn at Tarsus, and to those who would learn at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, then uh, he was more zealous and he more, was more gifted than all of his other peers. And no doubt, he was one of the men who was heading to be one of the, uh, part of the Sanhedrin council. That, that's who he was. That was his persuasion. Even in Philippians chapter 3, he says that he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, he says, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, he says, blameless. That's his, that's his persuasion. He was very religious. He was very and exceedingly zealous towards the things of God. Now, that's the identity of Saul's past. When we read in Acts chapter 9, and Saul, that's all of his past. But as we come to Acts chapter 9, we not only think about the identity of Saul's past, but we see the inventory of Saul's persecution. Throughout the book of Acts, and in the New Testament epistles, we find that uh, Paul documents or takes inventory, the book of Acts as a historical, uh, historical record, takes inventory of Saul's persecution. And can I say, it's not pretty. As a matter of fact, it seems that a lot of people, they, they tend to gloss over the intensity with which Saul persecuted the church. Uh, and what I want to do here is because I, th I think it's important for us to think, before his meeting with Christ, what kind of man was he? And to find that what happened to him in the change that, that, that happened in his life was indeed a very drastic change. 
In Acts chapter 9, notice verse 1, And Saul, so we know about his past, but now we take inventory of his persecution, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the priest and desired of him letters of Damascus or to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of, it, of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. It is important to uh, spend some adequate time studying the extent of Paul's persecution we do not need to imagine what the persecution was like. We can simply read it and understand the full extent of the persecution of Saul. Now some would say, well, uh, why are we spending, why do we need to uh, spend so much time on the persecution and not what he became? Well, because the Bible gives us the details of his persecution. God wants us to know what Saul did before he became a preacher. We, the first time we read about Saul, if you go back to Acts chapter 7, this is the first mention of Saul. Notice in Acts chapter 7, if you go down with me to verse 28, we know that in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen preached a wonderful sermon, the, the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. And here we find in Acts chapter 8 at the end, they are rushing on Stephen. They're about to stone him to death. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 7 verse 58, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at, the, at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Now, no doubt, there were other people who were there watching at the stoning of Stephen, but God wants us to know that Saul was there. That Saul was consenting uh, unto the death, according to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, was consenting unto the death of Stephen. And so uh, we think about that, uh, and I want us to think about Saul, because not only is it documented here, but uh, Paul is going to bring that up later in his ministry. He's going to remember this, this moment. He's going to, if you would, uh, relive his consent of the death of Stephen. When he was stoned, he was there at his feet. The first time again we read of Saul, we find him standing by... Uh, uh, standing and participating in the stoning of Stephen based upon the account we read, it does not seem that Saul was engaged in picking up the stones to stone Stephen. However, his watching of the clothes of the witnesses who first stoned Stephen makes him a co-conspirator in the violent act. According to Deuteronomy 17.7, it was the witnesses who brought witness against someone who were to cast the first stones against the accused. And so Saul was there from the very beginning. He was, I've, I've heard the witness here, I, I, I'll hold your stuff. Uh, because when the witnesses that brought accusation against the accused, they were to be the ones who first cast the stones. And after the witnesses cast the first stones, then everybody would join in. And someone would have to watch all those garments that were left behind. You see, this simple consenting to the death of Stephen emboldened him, apparently, to become a severe persecutor of the church. In Acts 8, verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. The word consent means to take pleasure in. You see, this means that his agreement was not implicit, it was explicit. Saul was not a neutral observer of the stoning. He was a thrilled observer. He would later relive his thrill. Turn with me to Acts 22. Notice his own words in Acts 22 and verse 20. 
Notice the Bible says, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. Think about that time later when Paul gave that testimony. He said, I, I was there. I consented unto his death. I, I, I took pleasure in. I was thrilled. Inside, I was happy that this man was stoned to death. Paul relived that. He relived and he said the same testimony of what the Bible records. Notice, he, he, he didn't gloss over it and says, well, yeah, I was there. He said, I consented unto his death. You see, the act he once took pleasure in observing would one day be the same act that brought grief to him. You know, no doubt there are many people who come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And you can't forget your past, but you often you remember things in your past and you thought, I used to joy in that, and now the same exact thing is disgusting to me. Something happened to Saul. So we see here the inventory of Saul's persecution, the consent he relived, but we also see the conduct he remembered. We read two verses that summarize the conduct of Saul. This conduct towards believers would not be easily forgotten, not only by those who were persecuted, but also by Saul himself. Other details not mentioned in the following two accounts would be divulged by Saul himself. Notice in Acts 8, and notice with me verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men uh, and women committed them to prison. Think about that word. We've already looked at this word, havoc. He made havoc. The word havoc means to destroy, to ravage, to devastate. The people who heard the preaching of Saul later said, if you go to Acts 9.21, uh, notice what they said when they hear him preach. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them that called on, on his this name in Jerusalem and came hither? for the intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. He says, that's the one that destroyed the church. In Galatians 1.13, Paul himself said, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. That's what Paul said himself. Again, in Galatians 1.23, Paul's actions towards the church are described by those who heard his preaching. They that heard only that he, might, uh, that, that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. He's preaching the faith that once he was engaged in destroying. He made havoc of the church. We also read there in Acts chapter 8 that he entered into every house. What does that mean? Think about it. Let's try to put ourselves here in the midst of this. Paul forced his way into the homes of believers. So what, what does that look like? Well, uh, the, the, the description we have in Acts chapter 17 with the persecution in Thessalonica, remember the house of Jason was assaulted. 
What does that mean? Literally means to jump on top uh, and uh, uh, to be raging against someone. And so, uh, guess what happened? Uh, believers were meeting in their houses. Uh, believers were uh, spreading the gospel. No doubt, they, the Bible says they cease not in, in the temple and in every house. They cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. And so Saul would go in the house. They would not open the door. He would kick in that door. He would haul men. He would drag them out of their house, bind them, and bring them to be imprisoned and he would give a testimony against them. He entered into every house. The Bible says he hauled, uh, well, the, the word is hailed men and women to prison. The word there, hailing, is an old English word which means hauling, hauling away. It means to pull violently and to drag. Saul was forcibly dragging, the Bible says, not just men, but women. From their homes to the magistrates to be committed to prison. We even come to Acts 9.1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord. The Bible says he, he threatened the disciples of the Lord. The word threat means uh, just what it says. It means that you declare your intentions to hurt someone if they do not give in to your demands. Now, by the way, remember that's what had been told to Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 17. They said, let us straightway threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And when they beaten, they let them go. By the way, the response of them after they were beaten and threatened, you remember what they prayed in Acts chapter 4? God, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. That's how they responded to the threats. We read here that he was bringing out threatenings and notice slaughters against the church. His intent was to slaughter the disciples of the Lord. The word slaughter means to murder, to slay. Uh, this is demonstrated in the stoning of Stephen. No doubt they used the same accusation of blasphemy upon the other Christians as they had stoned Stephen and justified the stoning because of blasphemy. Note when Paul later, turn with me to Acts chapter 22, Paul later testified of his conduct as a persecutor. He took inventory of that in Acts 22. Notice with me verse 4. Acts 22 verse 4. Paul says, And I persecuted this way unto the death. You know what that means? Believers died because of Saul. Notice, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, verse 5 of Acts 22, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders from whom I, uh, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them, which were, uh, which there bound to Jerusalem to be punished. Well, what was the punishment? Well, for blasphemy, it's stoning. He led them to their deaths. If you skip over down to verse 19, he speaks a little more. And he says this in Acts twenty-two nineteen. 19. I said, Lord, they know that I imprison and beat in every synagogue them that believe on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. You remember in Acts chapter 9, uh, uh, Saul went to uh, the, the high priest to have a letter so that by authority he could enter into the synagogues. And here apparently he says, and I beat them. 
The Christians would, in typical fashion, as we find in the book of Acts, they would first go to the Jews, they would first go to the synagogues, and they would preach in the synagogue and testify of Jesus Christ. And one day Saul came in there, and he physically beat those Christians. That's what he says. Go with me to Acts 26. A little later on, he has a, an opportunity to testify before King Agrippa of what the Lord did in his life. And in Acts 26, notice verse 9. He says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Now, remember when Stephen was stoned, they brought in false witnesses. Exactly what they did to Jesus Christ. They brought false witnesses. And what was the accusation? Blasphemy. You know what Paul did? He did the exact same thing. You see, the martyrdom of Stephen was the model that Saul followed during his persecuting endeavors. I gave my voice against them. I, I said that they were speaking blasphemies. Notice verse 11, and I punish them often. Notice, every synagogue. He went from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue and tried to punish every Christian. And com Notice, and compel them to blaspheme. The word compel means to be under duress and torture. He, he, he compelled by threats, by beating, by threatening, whatever, so deny the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he compelled them to blaspheme. Go on. In verse 11, And being exceeding mad against them. Notice here, that was all the flesh. He was exceeding mad. He was angry. He was stirred up in him. I persecuted them even unto strange cities. In other words, even the places where he did not have jurisdiction, he chased them there. Well, that's exactly what you find. Remember, when Paul later would testify and preach in Thessalonica, he, because of the persecution, he went on to Berea. And remember, they heard that he was preaching in Berea. So the Jews in Thessalonica went over to Berea and drove him out of the city. That's exactly what Saul did. He went in places he did not have jurisdiction to, per, uh, to uh, persecute those believers even unto strange cities. So we see the consent he relived, the conduct he remembered, but we also see the commission he received back in Acts chapter 9, the Bible says, he tells us that he went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. In other words, here's what this is all about. Paul found a way to justify all of his evil towards the church of Christ. He had the backing of the religious authorities of his day. What was going to stop this man? Full of hatred and evil deed towards many innocent men and women who had been beaten, tortured, murdered, falsely accused, ripped from their homes, lose their rights. Who could stop this madman? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you turn there with me, Paul again gives a brief statement and he testifies in 1st Timothy notice chapter 1 notice what he says in verse 12 remarkable verses 
He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. Who is going to stop this man? Uh, who is going to, uh, to get this man? And no doubt when uh, after Saul's conversion, he tried to go to Jerusalem. He, he, the Bible says he essayed to join himself to the apostles, but they would not receive him. Well, no kidding. Think about his record. Take the inventory of all that the Scripture says about this man and his, his evil deed. Back in Acts chapter 9, if you turn there with me. When we read those Saul's, we, we get a good background of Saul's life in Acts 9. And when we read, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. We're going to look more details at that next week, but I want us to think about this man, the identity of Saul's past. The most unlikely of candidate to become a Christian would be Saul because of the identity of his past. We also see the inventory, uh, the inventory of Saul's persecution. If anybody is not going to come to Christ, it's going to be this man. He has dedicated his life, his energy, his resources, his zeal, his passion to imprisoning, beating, murdering, speaking against. And he has been zealous in all those things. Certainly if anybody is going to come to Christ, it's not going to be that man. So the identity of Saul's past, the inventory of Saul's persecution, but lastly we see the interruption of Saul's pathway. He's on a mission. He's heading to Damascus. He's got a letter in his pouch. He's got a train. He's got men with him. That's obvious. The text shows us that there's people with him. And all of a sudden there's going to be an, an interruption in Saul's pathway where he is... He is going the course that his past has dictated for him. He is going to be a success in society. He is going to be a success religiously. Uh, if any man was going to be a success in the eyes of the world, it would be Saul. 
And this man, who not only was a success in the eyes of the world, but who undertook the persecution of the church, he is heading on this mission uh, to bind believers, to bring them bound to Jerusalem, uh, to testify against them, and to do all that he can to silence anybody who was of that way. And what made a difference in his life, what made a difference in his life is when he heard those words, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. What interrupts the life of any person? Jesus. When we are heading on our way, we have a direction in our lives, and even whether we are engaged and religious or non-religious, what changes the course of a person's life? When someone meets Jesus, there's an interruption in your life, and then the course of your life changes. Now, we're going to talk about that next week, so you have to come back. This is the first part. And so we're going to pause here and think about, is anyone too great of a sinner that God cannot save? If you were to tell me, and if we lived in that day, you so, well, and let's put ourselves in the, in the shoes of the church. And we were to take a survey in the church says, all right, name one person who is most unlikely to become a Christian. You know what they would all probably write? Oh, we know the man. That's Saul. There's no way that guy is going to be a Christian. And yet, he met Christ. You see, we look at the world around us there's nobody that's too far gone, nobody that's too wicked, nobody that's so vehemently opposed to the things of Christ that Jesus Christ cannot touch and save. Do we believe that? That's what happened here in Acts chapter 9. And that should, that sh that should give us, uh, encourage, that should encourage us to think. You remember when Paul then would write to the church at Rome, he said, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It says, For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, that's me, and also the Greek. You see, the power of God through the person of Christ can interrupt a person's life and give them a new purpose, a new direction. That's what Christ Jesus did for Saul. That's what he did, by the way, for you. Was your life, you remember when your life was interrupted? When you were going a direction and then you heard, I am Jesus? And so may the Lord help us. We have the answer for the world. And we must believe that the message of the gospel, what's the message of the gospel? It's Jesus Christ. Amen. And the power of the name of Jesus Christ can interrupt any life and give them a new life, a new direction.